Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. We're talking about February Blu-rays on this episode. But I thought I thought I'd start. Um, we're recording this Sunday night. It's about a little under two hours before the Oscar telecast begins. Mm-hmm. So this uh, episode won't air until after that does, and everyone knows the winners. But I've got work to do. I've got to fill out my office Oscar ballot. Ooh, tell. So, so let me do this, and uh, everybody can make fun of me for how much I get wrong once they listen to this episode. <laughs> All right, and Adam, you can chime in here too. All right. Here's a difficult category. Best, uh, best actor. Best actor. Well, well, well. There were definitely some good options there. Uh, let me pull up my Oscar nomination. I'll just All right, lost my go. ballot. Well, it's between Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser. Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm partial to Brendan Fraser because I like the whale. I know it been it wasn't very well reviewed, uh, but I, you know, a lot of people didn't like it. I I thought it was very moving and I thought he was good in it. And um, I'm going with Brendan Fraser too. And plus, Austin Butler's just you know young and it's another one of those yeah, give it time kind of things. But a lot of people have been predicting Austin Butler in recent weeks over Brendan Fraser. And plus, Brendan Fraser has the benefit of, you know, the emotionality of if he were to win. Uh, and uh, he's playing, you know, 600-pound mm-hmm. obese person. That's that's a disability. Yep. Uh, and, you know, uh, the fact that he was able to do that uh, <laughs> without them actually hiring a 600-pound person. Yeah. Uh, that that that's a that's no uh, no uh, small feat in itself. So. <laughs> so I'm going with Brendan Fraser. I'm going with Ki uh, Ki Kwan, supporting actor. I think that's a gimme. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, actress is between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. I would say. Mhm. Mhm. And I give the edge to Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I thought she was. I'm not a big fan of the film, but I thought she was good in it. Yeah, you can't deny that. Uh, so, I mean, we're we're we're. I'm checking these off. Who I think will win? Yeah, sure. It, and not, I think she it's was not good. Mer- merit or personal uh, sure. preference. Hey. Supporting actress. It's between I would think Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis. Oof, I'm giving the edge to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I think so too. There's a lot of love for her, and uh, Just, yeah, yeah, the story, the legacy, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Sure. Animated feature film is a total gimme. It's Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. S- uh, cinematography. Yeah, it's a little tough. Uh, All Quiet in the Western Front, Bardo, Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. I think it's between Elvis and All Quiet. Um, oh, and I don't, I don't know. Which one would you pick? I don't know. Tar is... Uh... It's quite impressive. That's one of the best things about that film. I'm really shocked that um, Everything Everywhere was not nominated in this category, but that's in the Or Top Gun. You know, they invented cameras for Top Gun. Right. Sure. Yeah, those are missed opportunities. Um, Yeah. um, I'm going to go with Tar. uh, You're going with Tar. I'm going to go with Elvis. Yeah. Well, it was was well photographed. Uh, I hate Elvis, but I'll I'll go with it. Costume (laughs) design... Oh, Babylon, Black Panther, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. 
I think you. Uh, I think Black Panther's got it. That's my. That's my personal uh, feeling. I think it's either Elvis or Babylon, and I'll go with Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Directing Banshees, Everything Everywhere, Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness. I think Everything Everywhere. It's got yeah. Kind of locked yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's kind of locked. Yep. Mm-hmm. Best Absolutely. Picture. I think Everything Everywhere's got it locked in. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're getting through these. Original song. Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. I've never heard of that, so that has to be the Diane Warren nomination. <laughs> Hold My Hand from Top Gun. Lift yeah. Me Up from Black Panther. Natu Natu from RRR. And the This Is a, this is a Life from Everything Everywhere. Natu Natu is going to win that. Uh, original you... score, I think Babylon is going to win that. Babylon's the score everybody's talking about. Nobody's talking about these others. Well, yeah. Uh, unless the sentimental vote goes to John Williams, because, you know, there's all this talk <coughs> about him. Uh, this may be his last, uh, one of his last. Not the last, but one of the, that he's hanging it up. So I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, and he, he kind of unretired a couple of weeks ago. In a, yeah, I've heard Spielberg. that. So, yeah, so who knows? He'll, he'll be scorned bullet that Spielberg does. <laughs> Uh, makeup and hairstyling, All Quiet, Batman, The Batman, Black Panther, Elvis, and The Whale. Makeup and hairstyling. You know what? I I think The Whale. I think, the, I think it's got to be The Whale. I think so, too. But I'm having people say, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. I was like, there's a freaking million Elvis impersonators out there. Like, how difficult yeah. is it to do the hair and the sideburns? Even though I, I, I understand that, the, you know, Tom Hanks has heavier makeup. But. Yeah. Well, he does age over the course of the film too, so he does he does the older version of Elvis as the film goes on. Donuts so again, doesn't even have anything to do with makeup; just d- donuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, international feature film is going to be all quiet, uh, even though they're known to screw that up from time to time. Even though all these nominees are, uh, I, I I've heard are very worthy. Um, film editing. Hmm. Banshees, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. I Film think every, editing. Everything Everywhere. That's a pretty impressive editing job, I will say that. And there is and a I, there is a correlation between editing and best picture usually. Yeah, I th- yeah, that's a good point. So I think uh, that would be a safe bet. I'll just uh, kind of Christmas tree these short. Yeah. Categories. The Martha Mitchell effect I'll choose for a documentary short film. Live action short film, La Poople. Animated <laughs> short film, as if I know the first thing about this. Um, oh. My year of dicks. I know, dude. I know. I'm so... Usually, what makes this difficult is usually uh, the short categories. I always look for titles with colons in them. <laughs> Yes. But none of these have colons in them. And the closest one that does is La Poople, because the poop comes from the colon. So yep. that's why I chose that. I don't uh, know. The animated short film. I mean, that ostrich title is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I'll choose the ostrich thing. Don't you go with my year of dicks for the uh, sophomore humor there. <laughs> no, I mean, it could, it could man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
documentary feature film. I think it's going to be Navalny. Yeah, there's a lot of love for that. Or, I, I don't know, Fire of Love. Yeah, those are the those are the two, I think. Even yeah. though All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is the latest one out of the gate that's gotten the most recent press. Fire of Love is more artistically done than Navalny. Mm-hmm. It's just the topicality of Navalny yep. that I yep. think puts it over the edge. I think you may be right. Original screenplay, Banshees of Anishir and everything everywhere, Fableman's Tar and Triangle of Sadness. Mm-hmm. Everything everywhere here as well. Yeah. You I think? think? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not definitely. McDonough's Banshees. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think you're right on the everything everywhere. I, I would go with that on the uh, screenplay. Adapted yeah. screenplay. Yeah. All Quiet, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking. They may give that to Top Gun just as a, you know, if it kind of give it a little something, you know, because it doesn't yeah, get anything else. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll toss it a bone. See, for me, it's between All Quiet and Women Talking, and I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, there is a lot of talking in Women Talking, so. Um, mm, I'll go All Quiet. I'll probably regret it. Visual effects, all quiet, Avatar, well, Avatar. <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> yes. As well. And Top Gun's nominated in that category, which I think is a total joke. And it kind of, it's kind of, uh, I mean, I'm sure the people that did that on the movie are pleased, but it's kind of an insult against the movie because the movie's main draw is the lack of visual effects, that they're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sound. Sound. You see, I think Top Gun could win that st- that uh, sound. Oh yeah, there there shouldn't be any argument about that. It's it's uh, excellent sound design. Although Elvis, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, you know that's a big contender there. I'm gonna get so much wrong this year. <laughs> it's tough. Production design, I'm choosing Babylon for that. So I'm choosing Babylon for too many. I think seeing that it's such a. a, a controversial divisive movie and i'm giving it all the awards it's nominated for but there you go they're my oscar picks thank you oh, for playing along sure very interesting uh when i win my office pool every year because no nobody knows anything about movies there but uh, i'm pretty sure <laughs> i'm gonna, advantage. <laughs> gonna really tank this year but it goes to show that you don't necessarily have to even see the movies to, if to know to have a good guess of what's going to win Mm-hmm. I think it's not really important to see them, because you yeah. could some people could Christmas tree the thing and and score fairly high. I think you're right. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. This. Yeah. We. I used to be in an Oscar pool, but some of my fellow critics would actually do it, and um, of course they they were in, they were somewhat in the business, so mm-hmm. they they it was kind of tough with those guys. Uh, but they haven't. They didn't invite me. The last couple of years, I didn't participate, and maybe they just gave up on me. And they were like, "Ah, let's not even bother to ask him." <laughs> so. Yeah, there's not really a pool. There's no money involved. Just that mm. nobody is anxious to just give away their money to me. But, uh... <laughs> we actually have money in uh, at stake. In uh, well, we did when the one that I used to be in. Uh, it wasn't a whole lot, but you know, you you throw in five, ten dollars or something. And, you know, winner take all. 
Yeah. All right. Enough of current okay. events. Let's look deep into the past to last month. <laughs> well, we could do that for sure. Um, we'll go back to, well, we usually do this chronologically, so we'll go back to February the 7th. And Disney again dragging their feet on uh, their catalog titles as usual, but they still do manage to pump out those Marvel titles in 4K, so Black Panther Wakanda Forever is no exception. And so it has gotten a 4K release and a Blu-ray release, so if you uh, want to have Wakanda Forever to complete your Marvel collection, well, you can get that on physical disc now. And Iger, Iger says that they're going to pay more attention to physical media, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, before he left, they were they were doing a fairly decent job. Um, but then things kind of, you know, they uh, when he left, and it's really stupid because there is a market for it, and it's just leaving money on the table. You know, there's, I mean, some of their catalog titles would sell incredible amounts if they would just remaster them, like Tombstone. Yeah. Uh, there's so many fans of that who want a good physical or license them out or what you know license, whatever whatever right. you need to do. But why would you buy all this shit? Why would you buy a Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox and all? Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're paying for it now because apparently they're in trouble, which is hard to believe because they're the ones that consistently have billion dollar franchises. Mm-hmm. They're just they've just been careless, carelessly greedy with gobbling up everything. Monetize it every way you possibly can. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad situation. There's so many 20th Century Fox titles. I you know I've guessed it on some podcasts, and uh, we've had a really hard time. Well, I haven't because you know I've got access to a lot of these titles, but some of my uh, fellow podcasters who don't have as much access to stuff as I do have had a lot of difficulty with finding some of these Fox titles. Well, Harry and Tonto, I did a show about that a couple of months ago on the Culture Cast, and they were having some serious problems. With Is that. Silkwood a, a 20th Century Fox title or no? Well, uh, no, that is Kino put that out on Blu-ray Silkwood. a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I've been looking for that for years on streaming. It's not even for purchase on Amazon. It's not, can't get Silkwood on streaming anywhere. Yeah, I don't think it streams, but there's a good uh, Blu-ray of that from Kino. Uh, I think that was uh, released by ABC Motion Pictures because mm. they had a releasing arm for a while, and I think, uh, and they were absorbed by MGM, I believe, and that's how Kino wound up with that title because they have a licensing agreement with MGM, but. Yeah, it's out there. It's it's a good transfer. So I mean, you may have to pony up for the physical copy of it. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Just want to watch it once. <laughs> I was always kind of ho hum on it. I I think the performances are good, but it's a little sluggish for me. I, I don't know. I man, I bought the uh, biography on Karen Silkwood. Well, I bet that's good. <sighs> it's so hard to read. Is it? I couldn't get through it. It was clearly written by someone in that industry, like says a scientist or something, because it's mm-hmm. there's no kind of emotionality or or, or or personal humanism in it. It's all about the the actual contamination. Oh, and, and this many liters of this many, you know. It's all it, technical this, dribble. Yeah, right? it's too much of that. Too much of that. Wow. Well, that's that's very interesting and not in a good way. <laughs> Yeah. Ugh. Well, 
Yeah, I thought that would be compelling material. It's just I like mean, I there's... bought that this book on um, uh, God Crane. What was his first name? The Crane guy that was called oh, Bob Crane. Yeah. Bob Crane. And it's written by Bob Crane's son, I mm. think. And uh, through half the book, he's talking about uh, being John Candy's personal assistant. Like really? only, only like half the books about his father, Bob Crane. And I'm like, well, this book should have been called Candy Crane. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a disappointment. Yeah. I, mean, I thought, thought it, I thought, it, I thought it would be the book to read, but then I picked up the much older book that uh, Gray Smith wrote, the guy that wrote Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book on Bob Crane that was superior. Oh yeah. He's a good writer. I could imagine that. Yeah. I never read that one, but yeah, probably should. But uh, yeah, mm. well, Arrow Video has issued the 1992 horror film *The Vagrant*, starring Bill Paxton and Michael Ironside, and Mark McClure and Colleen Camp, and it's directed by Chris Wallace, who was the makeup effects artist on Cronenberg's *The Fly* and quite a few other 80s horror staples, and he also directed *The Fly* too. Uh, this one's about a businessman buying a house, and then he has a hard time trying to get rid of its previous tenant, who's a dirty bum, who uh, you know won't won't give up the ship, so to speak. And like I said, Bill Paxton is the uh, the the man, the businessman buying the house, who's got his hands full trying to uh, fight against the the former tenant. So anyway, um, new transfer here. Uh, Got uh, some extras here as well. Got a commentary and some featurettes, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the uh, Arrow video has released The Vagrant. That's from, uh, that's one of their titles. And a couple of stillbook releases from Paramount. Warm Bodies has been issued in 4K from 2013. And Chicago, the best picture winner of 2002, that has been issued in uh, a Blu-ray set but not 4k just a blu-ray still book i guess uh, 20 21st anniversary edition or something i guess so anyway uh so we have that and the return of a swamp thing from 1989 directed by jim wynorski uh, the original of course being directed by wes craven who opted out of this one and you know this had a terrible reputation in terms of the quality, but I don't think it's that much worse than the original. <laughs> the original was not far from a perfect film. It had its goofy charms, as and this one does too. Um, you know, it's very tongue-in-cheek, and uh, Louis Jordan returns as the villain in spite of the fact that he was uh, killed at the end of the first film. Uh, but anyway, the quality of this, if you are a fan of Swamp, uh, the Swamp Thing and the original and the, and, and its sequel, you, it, I would say this is recommend, uh, recommended for the upgrade. It's a new 4K restoration from the original Interpositive with some Dolby Vision HDR mastering. And you get the reflections on Swamp Thing 35 years later, interview with the producer Michael Uslan, who uh-huh. has produced most of the Batman films. I talked uh, to him. I think I talked to him. Yeah, I believe you did. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, re- I recall that. But yeah, he's. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that this was his the 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 moment of his on his resume that he's most proud of. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, not maybe not the feather in his cap. But 
anyway, it's it's cool that he was able to, uh, you know, talk to them about it, and he's not completely embarrassed, so that's good. Audio commentary from Jim Wynarski, the director, and composer Chuck Serino, and an audio commentary, uh, another audio commentary from just the director by himself, and interviews with the director, editor, yada, 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 promotional TV clips, TV spots, public service announcements. So anyway, the return of Swamp Thing from that is Lightyear Entertainment, uh, which uh, I can't remember. I think that was originally a Columbia Sony release or something, but somehow or another, the rights have reverted to uh, Lightyear Entertainment, or maybe they just licensed it. I'm not sure. Uh, the 1970, let's see, okay, I'm just going to do all the uh, Kino releases. I'll do all those at one time. We can do those, but we'll move on to something else while I'm pulling those up, and we'll do a couple of uh, compilations of Mickey Mouse shorts. Mickey and Minnie, 1928 to 1947 is one, and... Mickey and Minnie, uh, yeah, there's two volumes of this, I'm sorry, uh, 1928 to 1947. So we have those, and we have Bubba Hotep, the 2002 film from Don Coscarelli, uh, speaking of Elvis, where Bruce Campbell plays Elvis, or at least somebody who thinks he's Elvis with O.C. Davis, uh, <laughs> also in the, uh, the cast there. Uh, this, of course, has... It has a cult following, but it's getting a first-time-ever 4K release. Uh, so we've got that uh, from uh, Shout and Scream Factory. Yes. So anyway, um, if I... Okay, here's the keynote titles. We'll go through those right quick. If I Were King, this is from 1938, and it's about a poet matching wits with a crafty king and leading the empire to victory. A romantic adventure starring Ro Ronald Coleman from Lost Horizon, also Basil Rathbone, uh, who was in the Sherlock Holmes films. Uh, he got an Oscar nomination for this one, so for Best Supporting Actor. Anyway, uh, If I Were King, 1938, with a new 2K Master and a new audio commentary by film historian and writer and one of our former guests, Ju the great Julie Kurgo, contributing some commentary there in writing, so. Uh, or just commentary, rather. Uh, Sorrowful Jones, starring Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. This was the first pairing of Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. Uh, it's based on a story from Damon Runyon's fable about a penny-pinching Broadway bookie called Sorrowful Jones, who takes a bet from a rotten gambler who leaves his young daughter as collateral. So anyway, um, yes, this is... a. Uh, this has been issued with no extras except a trailer. And then we have Raw Wind in Eden from 1958. This stars Esther Williams, one of her, uh, I think, non-aquatic roles, also with Jeff Chandler here. And it's a romantic South Seas film noir directed by Richard Wilson. And uh, it comes with a new audio commentary by David DelVal and film historian, filmmaker Daniel Creamer. And also a theatrical trailer. Rory Calhoun and Yoko Tani star in Marco Polo, uh, the 1962 um, biopic about Marco Polo, the legendary 13th century explorer who journeyed to China with the aim of expanding world trade, newly restored in 4K with a new audio commentary by Tim Lucas and a theatrical trailer. Uh, we also have That Man Bolt 
from Fred Williamson, uh, starring Fred Williamson, rather, and directed by Henry Levin and David Lowell Rich. And um, he's the highest flying, toughest, toughest talking, hardest hitting dude the world has ever faced. When you need a real man of steel, martial arts expert Jefferson Bolt is the high priced pick for the job. And he's tasked with a, um, uh, he takes an offer from a British man who has millions in cash and an offer that Bolt can't refuse. And of course, you know, complications ensue. Anyway, also stars Teresa Graves and Jack Ying. And there's uh, a new interview with star Fred Williamson here. So uh, that, that Man Bolt from 1973, A World Apart, starring Barbara Hershey and directed by Chris Mingus. And um, this was um, about the uh, communist Gus Roth, played by Jerome Crabbe. Uh, he flees Johannesburg and he le leaves his activist wife, Diana, played by Barbara Hershey, to continue their crusade against apartheid. Uh, there's a new interview here with Jerome Crabbe and a new audio commentary with screenwriter Sean Slavo, moderated by Daniel Creamer. Chris, uh, we uh, have Chris Mingus, didn't he shoot a lot of Wong Kar Wai stuff? I think he did, yeah. And what was yeah. another movie he directed? Mm, now that you got me on. I think it's called Second Best. William Hurt's stars in it. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I remember it well. <laughs> it a long time since I've seen it, though. Yeah, but I do remember it, yeah. Uh, White Woman, starring Charles Lawton and Carol Lombard, from 1933. It's a uh, pre-code drama about forbidden love. The world of a widowed nightclub performer changes drastically when she agrees to marry a wealthy plantation owner. Uh, so, anyway, uh, this is has a commentary by the filmmaker Alan Arkish on here. Uh, but the 1933 pre-code drama White Woman. Alan Arkish, how old must that be? Uh, this is a new commentary. It says, yeah, brand new commentary by Alan Arkish huh. and film historian Daniel Creamer. Okay. So um, we have uh, quite a few. Uh, Francois Truffaut films that they have opted to release in the month of February. And these are all good. I would vouch for them. I got review copies of all of these and I can vouch for them personally. The quality, picture quality is good and these are good films that should be in everybody's library, I think. Uh, the Bride Wore Black, which was his, you know, uh, this was made shortly after Truffaut did the uh, famous book of interviews with Alfred Hitchcock. And this is kind of his tribute to, uh, doing a thriller in the uh, the vein of Hitchcock, I guess you would say. He even borrowed Hitchcock's composer, Bernard Herrmann, for the score here. Uh, but The Bride Wore Black stars um, Jean Moreau. And uh, it's, you know, about a woman getting vengeance. It's uh, It con contains a new audio commentary by Julie Kurgo again, Stephen C. Smith, and Nick Redman. So I think this is an older commentary mm -hmm. because uh, this was originally a Twilight Time issue. So that has made its way, but good, solid film. Mississippi Mermaid, uh, which was later remade um, with Angelina Jolie as Original Sin, I think like 2001 or 2002. This is the original version, Mississippi Mermaid, uh, starring Jean-Paul Belmondo and Catherine Deneuve. And, um, you know, it's about a tobacco tycoon played by Jean-Paul Jean -Paul Belmondo meeting Catherine Deneuve, 
his mail-order fiance, and he's enraptured by her radiance, and it becomes clear she's hiding a dark secret. Uh, this has commentary also by Julie Kurgo and the late Nick Redman, another previous Twilight Time release that has been the Is issue. Is this still Truffaut stuff? Yeah, these are all Truffaut titles, yes. Uh, we have the story of Adele H., Mm-hmm. Uh, which was pretty well reviewed at the time of its release. Audio commentary also again by Julie and Nick. Uh, this was again previous Twilight Time release, starring Isabel Ajani as a woman who just uh, finds herself obsessed with a man who doesn't quite love her in the way that she loves him. Uh, a soldier in 1863, Nova Scotia. So uh, anyway, and then we have a set of uh, four. Truffaut films with no extras. It's called the Francois Truffaut Collection. That's in addition to the three I just mentioned. And uh, these are all solid. Uh, Several of these have never been available on Blu-ray ever. I don't think any of them have, actually. Uh, The Wild Child, which Truffaut stars in as a doctor who finds a boy living in the wild and tries to tame him and uh, teach him the ways of society. Small Change was the very well-reviewed film of uh, where Truffaut... uh, uh, tells several vignettes uh, starring children in the stories in The Man Who Loved Women, which was later remade with uh, Burt Reynolds, directed by uh, Blake gosh, Edwards. Blake Edwards, yes. This is much better than the original. I think this is a quite a quite a good film. It's about a man who just is obsessed with every woman that he meets. You're ta- you're saying the Truffaut one is better, or the... uh, yes, it's better. Okay. it's much better. Because yeah. the only good thing, the only good thing about the Reynolds one is the the Basinger uh, vignette. Because Basinger comes on and she's, I mean, this was 1983 or whenever sure. it were, yeah. and you're like, gosh, she's a natural comedian. <laughs> you know, she's great in that movie. Yeah, I I have for years wanted a really good copy of this original version because I saw it years ago in a panned and scanned uh, version on DVD that you could only get it in the square boxy format or whatever. And I was quite taken with it. It has a downbeat ending that was omitted from the Hollywoodized version directed by Blake Edwards. And I think it is perfect for this film. Well, if you haven't seen any Truffaut movies, you might feel intimidated by a box set like this. But the more you get to know him, the more he becomes a true friend instead of a Truffaut. (laughs) Good, good, good. Yes. I was building up to that as you were talking about all of his movies. Good, well, the last film in this set is The Green Room, and it's about a uh, a, uh, a man who so loves the dead that he can no longer love the living, and he builds a shrine to his deceased wife, and he meets a woman who's also in mourning, and they fall in love, and she gives him a last chance at resurrection. Oh. Uh, this was a controversial film. I think it was well-reviewed well by Siskel and Ebert, but... Uh, Later think... remade as Psycho 3. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat, yes. But anyway, yeah, The Green Room from 1978 is another one. So anyway, you get these four films in one set, uh, Wild Child, Small Change, Man Who Loved Woman, and The Green Room, all of those. I did I did yeah. buy, because they were cheap, The Screen Factory, Psycho 2 and 3, a couple weeks ago, and rewatched them. Mm-hmm. Psycho 2 is actually really good. Uh, yeah, it's very you know, good. Considering. Um, it still has really silly parts in it, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, when they dig up her, his mother in the graveyard and just open up her casket, like right there on the side of the graveyard. See, Norman, I told you it was her. Like, <laughs> I don't think they do that. But, but still very good in, in that in, an unenviable position of, you know, sequelizing a Hitchcock classic. 
And Psycho 3 yeah. isn't bad. It isn't bad. You know, it's, de- it's decent. It's competent. Yeah. For what it is, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, Richard Franklin actually knew Hitchcock to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah, I think it's entirely, the two, second one works entirely because of Richard Franklin and his um, yeah. his respect for the first. I think so. And he's got some really nice camera work in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, Of course, written by Tom Holland. Good yeah. solid script there, so... Yeah, uh, I think the third one's not bad either. Um, I know the reviews were kind of mixed when it came out. Some some terrible reviews and some not so. I know, I know Ebert liked it a lot, uh, but I I like it more than I did when I first saw it. I think I've come to appreciate it more. Yeah, it and tries to do some different stuff. Yeah, and there's some nice directorial uh, flourishes, I guess you would say, from uh, Anthony Perkins. So you know, I'll give him some credit for trying something a little different there. Um, so anyway, almost through these Kino titles, uh, Steve McQueen as The Hunter. This was his final film. It was shot, um, I believe it was shot around uh, spring of 19... No, 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 it was the uh, fall of 79, I think they were yeah. shooting this. And that's when he first... Uh, there's some scenes in this film where he's in Chicago, and that's where he first started exhibiting scenes, uh, feeling that he was sick, that there was something going on. Yeah, I'd like to hear Catherine Harold's recollections of that because wasn't she the girl yeah his mm-hmm. love interest in that she's interesting mm-hmm. she she was in some really good movies or prominent movies back in the day and then she retired and now she's a psychologist in colorado or something yeah she's i love her in a modern romance especially yeah. with uh, albert brooks it's a terrific movie raw uh, deal oh I yeah i remember when raw deal came out it's like 13 years old <laughs> and uh there's a there's a scene of her wearing a low-cut dress and i remember crushing on her bad you know because i was like, was like 13 <laughs> yeah. and just kind of blossoming into that kind of thinking oh yeah she that was filmed uh just a couple hours down the road here yeah yeah because yeah. it's de Laurentiis, you know yeah that's right that's when he had the old uh studio going over there and um in wilmington yeah, it's uh, I talked to a guy. It's funny. I ran into a guy in Wilmington uh, I, when I was working years ago for I was working on the corporate side at Best Buy train doing as a trainer. And uh, I wound up training a guy for uh, to be a delivery driver. And he turns out he worked for Dee Laurentis Entertainment Group and he was the prop guy. He would go around and oh. pick up their props and he worked on uh, Raw Deal and he had some interesting Stories. He said that nobody, nobody on uh, from the, the the crew liked Schwarzenegger at all. They hated his guts. But he said Darren McGavin, who's in the film, you know, Coljack and all that, you know, he um he said he was the nicest guy. He would just sit down at a table with you. There was no pretense at all. He would ask you yeah. questions as if he, you know, just met a new friend. He said he was just the most unpretentious guy you ever met. So That's I good. Yeah, that story always stuck with me. He, he said that uh, it was kind of funny. So anyway, uh, side note. But The Hunter, uh, yeah, I, saw, I watched this. I had always wanted to see it. It was one of those films that, you know, uh, always had a reputation as being a terrible way for Steve McQueen to end his career. But I didn't think, honestly, that it was quite that no, bad. No, it's not awful. All, no. I remember, all I remember about it is he's on a train in one section. Yep, yep, yep. That. 
I mean, it's a little disjointed. I mean, there's definitely some parts where you feel like something's missing and the editing is, it's a little, you know, but, uh, you know, it could have, it could have went out on a much worse note. I mean, I would say. So anyway, this has a new audio commentary by film historian Steve Mitchell, Nathaniel Thompson. And, the, you know, it's a good picture transfer from Paramount. Uh, I think they do their transfers in-house and then Kino distributes them. So that's how that works. So anyway, Jean Reno and Vincent Cassel starring the Crimson Rivers from 2000. And this is, um, uh, it's about uh, France's leading serial killer investigator being called to examine a grisly murder and entering a world of secrets, lies, and unthinkable horrors. So um, the dead uh, victims, their hands and eyes have been remo- removed and are clues to a terrible tradition the killer can no longer bear. Um, anyway, I wasn't familiar with this one. It's an audio commentary by the director and the stars Jean Reno and uh, Vincent Casal. And there's a documentary, The Making of a Corpse. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I right. just like, I just, sometimes I pay attention to how you say things. I think it's uh, it's entertaining. <laughs> and starring Vincent Cassell. <laughs> like where you choose to uh, emphasize. Enunciate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh I will tell you that I've noticed lately. I don't know if you ever listen to the New York Times Daily Podcast. Occasionally I do. Sometimes yeah. I listen to it. And the guy, you know. He does an intro, and then he's in conversation with a reporter about a particular story. In conversation, he sounds like a regular guy. But in the intros, he's like, Today, on the Daily, with Mike (laughs) Barraro. And I'm like, what is that voice? What are you putting on a voice for? (laughs) Just, Yeah, it's odd. I'm not saying you're doing that, but it reminded reminded me of that. No, no, (laughs) that's how you talk. You know, I talk to you off the air for hours. Yeah. We know each other well, so you know. <laughs> you know what? This is, you, you know the drill. It's so, not. Yeah. It's not insincere coming from you. It's good. <laughs> I noticed something like the first few years that I did interviews, and I, it, when I did the intro, my vo- I, I didn't speak differently. I just said it louder. It was <laughs> just like some kind of, you know, natural second nature kind of thing. Oh, when you introduce somebody, you got to speak louder. Like what? What I'm not in on a microphone or something when I'm, you know, it was a weird thing. <laughs> we develop our own style as we go on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I listened to, uh, I, I have, I'd called into the Dr. Demento show when I was 14 years old and, uh, I got on twice actually. Uh, and it was kind of hard to do cause I had a friend who tried it and he couldn't get on, but I got on twice and you get a t-shirt every time you got on. And I saved those tapes all these years later. And this was like 1985, and uh, it's funny to hear my voice and how I enunciated things at age 14 versus now. Yeah. When I listened to that tape, I I just pulled it up for somebody the other day and listened to it. And they said, I can't believe that's you. I said, well, it is. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, Secret of the Incas from 1954. And we're almost done here. Uh, Charlton Heston and Robert Young star in uh, this adventure uh, story that takes place. Um, he's the rugged adventurer Harry Steele. Uh, Charlton Heston is a thrilling action yarn, breathtakingly shot at Machu Picchu. <laughs> well, anyway, it's uh, remastered in HD with a new transfer from Paramount Pictures from a 4K scan of the original camera negative. New audio commentary by film historian Toby Rome. 
Um, and then we have Shirley MacLaine, Richard Attenborough, and James Booth in The Bliss of Miss Blossom. And this is, um, uh, she's trying to, I think it's Shirley MacLaine trying to escape her uh, marriage to a bra manufacturer played by Richard Attenborough. You don't think of him as a bra manufacturer. Bra manufacturer. But... <laughs> know, right? Welcome to Jurassic Tits. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's good. But uh, she's, it's based on a play by Alec Koppel, who uh, I think he was one of the co-writers of Vertigo. I got that right, right? That's Richard yeah, Attenborough? Okay, good. That's the one. That's the I'm one. so proud of that. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, anyway, new new commentary by film historian, uh, filmmaker Daniel Creamer. And then last but not least, we have the 4K upgrade of Marathon Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting the, have you watched this? I didn't get a review copy of this one. I requested one, but I think they must have ran out. I didn't. I, I've heard. I've heard it looks pretty good for what it is. I don't know. I, I'd like to have it. I wish I had it. Is it so? Okay. So the question of is it worth it? Yeah, I wish I could tell you, but I. How about I, is it safe? Is it? <laughs> it has a new commentary uh, by Daniel Creamer. I'm sorry, Nathaniel Thompson and Steve Mitchell. It has. Oh, so, yeah. Daniel Krimmer, he was on the show. Talk about, uh, what's his name? Who's the guy that he wrote a book about? Hmm. The guy that made, uh, that, uh, God, I can't remember his name. The guy that made The Lawyer. Oh, uh, uh, the director of yeah. The Lawyer? Yeah, he that was. was... It wasn't Sydney. Uh, Fury, yep. Fury, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's still alive? I just couldn't. Yeah, get he's in, in his nineties. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. And he also made Big, Big Halsey or Little John and Big Halsey or whatever that movie is with Redford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He directed yeah, he... Brando. He directed Sinatra. Yeah, he's got uh, and and Christopher Reeve in the Superman Four. <laughs> Not the Superman Four in Superman Four, I meant to say, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, boy, and there's so many people clamoring for the extended cut of that film. Uh, that's what's funny, even though I don't know that that's going to improve. There's it. not. I mean, it's, it's that Superman Four was. Um... Badly compromised. It's not like there was a that they shot a lot that they cut out. I don't think, or shot a good movie that mm-hmm. was compromised. No, they were compromised from the start because what happened is Christopher Reeve had all these great uh, ambitions for it, and then the, as they were known to do, the um, you know the producers go uh, Golan Globus cut the budget in half before they started shooting. That was my understanding of it. Yeah, you interviewed the uh, writer, I believe. Yeah, I made a big mess of it. That was a great interview, too, by the way. I think, Aaron, I think Aaron did that. Aaron, Maybe that's Aaron's not uh, shy about asking questions that might elicit a confrontational <laughs> response. He's just not. One time I had him interview Michael Chiklis, and I, I'm just too shy. I, you know, I didn't know, is Michael Chiklis, is he... Does he uh, resent that whole wired uh, period of his life where he played Belushi in that panned movie? And, yeah. And Aaron was like, oh, I'll ask him about it. I said, okay. <laughs> okay. And he went there, and Chickless was uh, was good, completely amenable to the question. And he said, yeah, the biggest encouragement I had after that debacle was Burt Reynolds. 
like I saw Burt Reynolds at the airport, and he was so encouraging to me. He said, "Don't worry about it, kid. You'll you'll be fine." Oh, how nice! Yeah, very very good. Yeah, that's uh. Well, I mean, that is that that was uh his career kind of you know. But came your and career went off. starts on <laughs> such a note of <laughs> I know. bad infamy, you know. Well, it's kind of like Jessica Lang and King Kong. You know, that was the whole thing with her, too. The rap was she was saddled with all this campy dialogue. And uh, there was a lot of... Yeah, but a, pop, know, but a she, popular movie. That was a yeah, popular movie. So, it was a popular but what movie. But was, what was the, 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 the great uh, challenge for her was to be uh, legitimate, take, to be taken seriously, seriously after yeah, that. Right. Yeah, yeah well, she, she did eventually, you know, starting with all that jazz and... You know that kind of gave her a little cred, and then she, you know, the rest is history. So yeah, that's that's a that's a valid point. So uh, another Warner Brothers release, 4K release, is the Legend uh, Legion rather of the Superheroes, which is an animated thing, uh, and that's also getting a Blu-ray release as well. Uh, Criterion has up uh, done a 4K upgrade on the Three Colors trilogy. Uh, yeah, that's Christoph- expensive. Kislowski. I did get one of these. I did. And I will say, it looks beautiful. Uh, they have really done a great job, on my equipment anyway. I thought it was just a perfect... Uh, they did such a great job, you know, managing the grain. Is There's some there, but it's just enough. It's not to the point where, you know, it's uh, where it looks ridiculous. It's. I, I thought it was a very, very good transfer on these films. Uh, there's no new extras. It's just everything being ported over and the same packaging, uh, which a lot of people are complaining about that with Criterion, but the transfers are pretty exquisite with these upgrades, as as is the Three Colors trilogy. So uh, I will vouch for that one. If you're looking, uh, if you're wondering if it's worth the upgrade in terms of picture quality, I would say yes. Uh, it, it is. So, um, Cult Epics has released the 1974, I guess this is a soft core film with, uh, Sylvia Christel, Julie, Julia, rather. She's a young girl trying desperately to lose her virginity. <laughs> so, anyway, and, uh, Sylvia Christel was kind of on a, there's, 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 what's there's, the name of it? Uh, Julia. Julia, so, not to be confused with the Jane Fonda. Julia. Yes, definitely a different film, for sure. Uh, so Troma has issued Waitress, which is also known as Soup to Nuts. Uh, I've never seen this. It has... Uh, oh, I'm trying to see. Hunt Block, Tony Dennison, Chris Noth. I don't know Chris Noth, I guess, from Sex in the City, but that's the only cast member uh, that I'm familiar with. But Anyway, I think I remember seeing this... Uh, Seeing this in one of those Leonard Malton books and thinking it might be interesting, but I don't know. But anyway, there's a Blu-ray now of a Waitress, formerly known as Soup to Nuts, in a director's cut. Uh, and it's directed by Michael Hurts and Lloyd Kaufman of Trauma. So, anyway. Wasn't that uh, Bogdanovich's original title for his last movie? From Soup to Nuts? From oh. Soup to Nuts, I think. It seems like it, yeah. And they just change it to She's Funny that way. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. So, uh, anyway, another uh, release by Kino, forgot about this one, Congress Dances is a pre-code film with Lillian Harvey from 1931, and that's got a new commentary on it. And then we've got a few Disney titles here, uh, getting just new packaging, nothing new other than that. Little Mermaid, Toy Story, Beauty and the Beast, 
Frozen, Moana, Black Panther, the usual suspects. Uh, so we'll move along. February 14th saw the release of The Fablemans, which is nominated for Best Picture uh, in the Oscars, of course. And 4K and Blu-ray releases from Universal for The Fablemans. And also Decision to Leave, which I think has a foreign, it's nominated for foreign film, right? I believe. I don't think so. Is it not? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, uh, I think it's kind of ballot. I think that's one of the overlooked, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was overlooked. Now that you say that, yeah. They don't have the best uh, track record on uh, that category or documentary. Well, they've been better in recent years, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, of course, the latest film from Park Chan-wook, and it got uh, tremendous critical love, I think, uh, almost universally loved. I I found it a little bit hard to to navigate. Uh, it took, took a while going getting where it was going. I, I wasn't as crazy about it as others, but... Nevertheless, uh, maybe I should give it a second try. Maybe I will at some point. So, Anyway, uh, Romeo and Juliet getting issued by Criterion in a new Blu-ray edition. Not 4K, just Blu-ray. This is the 1968 Franco Zeffirelli version of film, which I personally think is the best. And, of course, this was a little controversy about this film a couple of months ago. I think the stars of the film were going to sue Paramount. Uh, or something because they were claimed that they didn't weren't alerted that they were going to be nude in the film and they felt like they were exploited. There's some controversy going on in a lawsuit pending, I believe. With what uh, movie? Uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah. 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 There it is. It's, so, only been, it's only been 55 fucking years. I know, but... right? That's what I was thinking, but... What do I know? But anyway, uh, there are a few new extras here. There's a uh, I think a, uh, they did a reunion of the two stars of the film and in, I think it was 2016 or 18 at the Arrow Theater. And uh, anyway, that's on here. There's several other things here. But uh, Romeo and Juliet has really, uh, it didn't get a, it's never gotten a Blu-ray release. And like I said, I think it's a beautiful version of, of the uh, the story. And uh, I would, I did not get a review copy and I, I would love to have one. I think I'll buy it when the Criterion sale eventually happens. <laughs> so I will add it eventually. Um, the Devonsville Terror is a vinegar syndrome release. This used to turn up on cable all the time. It's a it's about a 300-year-old witch's curse in the New England town of Devonsville. It's directed by Yuli Lomel, who uh, made the, uh, the Boogeyman with his uh, wife, Susanna Love. She's also in this. Donald Pleasance turning up in this as well. But like I said, this was a staple of a cable back in the day, and it's getting a Blu-ray release from Vinegar Syndrome. Strange World, uh, the latest Disney animated film getting a 4K and Blu-ray release, uh, or one of the latest, I should say. And uh, the Giallo Essentials set is a new Arrow box. I think this may have been released before, but I think it may have gone out of print. We have uh, in this set, White Edition, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, The Iguana with the I've always wanted to see that. Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave? Yeah, because I've been listening to the soundtrack for years. I've always wanted to see that. Yeah, it's funny. My aunt's name is Evelyn, and and I've teased her for years about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> title. <laughs> it's kind of a running gag in our family. Yeah, I've always wanted to see it, too. In fact, I have a copy of it around here, but it's a DVD. It's not the Blu-ray, and I didn't get the review copy. So, But I'd like to see it, too. Just never got to yeah. it. Yeah. You know, a lot of those uh, Italian scores are very interesting. And oh. The, I listen to a lot of them. I have never even seen the movies. That they... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Uh, the Suspicious Death of a Miner is the other one in the set. And there's new extras here, new commentaries, new transfers, of course, and featurettes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the latest um, uh, reboot of House Party from Warner Brothers uh, came out, came and went in January with hardly a peep. Anyway, um, that has been issued uh, in Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, a Blu-ray and DVD set, a Blu-ray and DVD bundled together, I'm sorry, with the digital code there. I don't know if there's any extras on this, but... Uh, we also have a couple of Paramount releases here. We have Three Days of Condor getting a Paramount Blu-ray release. Uh, I think it was previously issued as a double feature. Uh, I have it. I can't remember what the other film... Oh, it was All the President's Men and Three Days of the Condor were paired together because Warner Brothers had a brief distribution deal with the Paramount catalog that didn't last but a couple of years, and so they paired those together, and I picked that one up, so I've got that already. I think it's probably the same transfer. I don't think there's any new extras here, but anyway, Three Days of the Condor, and Blades of Glory is another Paramount release. Uh, They're digging in the catalog here for some of these, but anyway, Love on the Ground is a 1984 film directed by Jacques Rivette, it's a play within a play within a play. Actors performing a play in a house. An audience member invites them to work in his own home and improvises a play around his own life. And it stars a Jane Birkin and Geraldine Chaplin. And um, I think there's a director interview here or something. There's there's a an extra here somewhere on this. But uh, anyway, Love on the Ground. That's a Cohen Media release. Just wanted to mention that. Um, and uh, so we'll move along to February 21st. The Magnificent Seven got a 4K release from Shout Factory as part of their Shout Select series of titles. And I hear the transfer is pretty good on this. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think a lot of the uh, previous extras have been carried over. I don't know if there's any new ones. I didn't get a review copy of this, but anyway. Uh, the Slumber Party Massacre 1 and 2 have been issued in 4K as well from... Scream Factory as a double feature. And Days and Confused, uh, getting the 4K treatment from Criterion. It's been part of their label in the Blu-ray edition for years, but now it's getting the 4K upgrade with all the extras uh, ported over. As I said, these, uh, these extras that you get on these Criterion discs are, generally speaking... Well, in fact, I don't think they put any new uh, extras on any of these titles. It's always the stuff they ported over, and the packaging is the same. But, yep, the transfers do make it worth it sometimes. So, Anyway, Remains of the Day, getting a 4K release, the 1993 film starring Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson I, and Christopher Reeve. We'll bring him up again. So, anyway, yeah, this is a good film. I like Remains of the Day. And uh, uh, getting a 4K upgrade from Sony... And um, so let's see uh, the recent film Empire of Light. I think that was the latest one um, 
it didn't get really good reviews. Uh, kind of got savaged. Uh, directed uh, by Sam Mendes and starring Olivia Coleman, and uh, described as the love story set in and around a beautiful old cinema on the south coast of England in the 80s. It sounds like it can't miss, but uh, my son saw it. He said it wasn't very good, that I would be very disappointed. <laughs> I took his word. So uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, it's it's out there. Empire of Light from Universal getting a Blu-ray release, but not 4K. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... Um, Anyway, got a couple of blue underground titles here, uh, getting 4K upgrades. Both of these directed by Jess Franco. We have uh, Philosophy in the Boudoir and Marquis de Sade's Justine, both getting 4K upgrades with, I think, uh, all the previous extras have been ported over from the Blu-ray editions, which include audio commentaries with Nathaniel Thompson and Troy Haworth. And interviews with the director, an interview with the author of a book on Jess Franco, and uh, there's a few new things here. It does look like there's a few new uh, feature. Uh, there's a new featurette, new interview here, and the uh, newly expanded poster and still gallery, and the new commentary. So yeah, there are a few new extras on these two blue underground releases of Philosophy in the Bordeaux and Justine. And uh, Philosophy in the Bordeaux is also known as Eugenie in some places. Anyway, it has several titles there. Um, So the 2021 film Station Eleven has been issued in 4K by Paramount. It's about survivors of a uh, of a flu epidemic. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Uh, Anyway, um, so anyway, yeah, it's about these survivors of a flu pandemic or something. I'm not sure, but anyway, Station Eleven getting 4K release. Uh, a collection of silent avant-garde films from Kino has been issued in a box set. It's called Silent Avant-Garde. And The Dead Pit is a 1989 horror film that I remember seeing in the video store and actually renting and enjoying quite a bit. I haven't seen it since then. It's been issued in 4K by Dark Force Entertainment. And... Um, it's uh, about this doctor whose fiendish experiments in the basement of an abandoned wing of a mental hospital uh, come back to uh, come back to get him. So anyway, the dead pit and uh, Indochine from 1992 also getting a Blu-ray issue from Sony, not a 4K issue, but just a a Blu-ray issue. And uh, the Werewolf of Washington is another Kino release. This was. From 1973, uh, starring Dean Stockwell as a senator who um, gets bitten by a werewolf. <laughs> it was filmed at the height of the, uh, <laughs> the Watergate scandal. Uh, the director of the film died recent, uh, recently, and in fact he uh, passed away right after his director's cut was released uh, in 2021. It's actually 15 minutes shorter and uh, supposedly uh, it's his preferred version, I would assume, because it's the director's cut. But uh, anyway, there's an interview with the director of the film, Milton Moses Ginsberg, uh, as an extra here, and a critical discussion with Simon Abrams and Sheila O'Malley about the film. Uh, I did see this, and it's, you know, there are a few uh, mildly humorous moments, I guess you would say, and, and satire about you know, Washington at the time of its the time it was filmed but uh, it just kind of falls flat even in the director's version unfortunately i wish that wasn't the case but 
uh, it does. But it's a curio, if nothing else. The Werewolf of Washington from 1973. And um, so I think that takes care of We're down to the last day of the month. Uh, February 28th, we'll talk about a title that you said you picked up, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about the, uh, referring to the grain that we referenced earlier. You said it's high in grain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's definitely its own food group. Uh, <laughs> it's got so much of it. But it's not, it doesn't look like normal film grain. It looks like... It looks very digitized. Uh-huh. It looks uh, like a swarm of bees or something, mm-hmm. um, which that's not impressive. But the 4K does come through in the close-ups. Yeah. Like you see a lot more detail in close-ups and that kind of thing. Um, and the extras are uh, – yeah, uh, the best extras are the ones that are carried over from previous editions. But there's kind of an entertaining William Friedkin interviewing – Toby Hooper at some 40th anniversary screening of the movie. Mm-hmm. Hooper's a little out of it, but um, freaking's entertaining. As is he, as he yeah. always is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Exorcist is about the mystery of faith. <laughs> That's a unique way of talking. I so wanted yeah. to tell him he was full of shit when he told me that. I love William Freakin. But I'm like, no, you wanted to make a movie that would scare the shit out of people. No, I made a movie about, I didn't make a horror movie. I made a movie about the mysteries of faith. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you insist. Yeah, I know. But even he stands stands there and he says, this is the scariest fucking movie ever made. Talking about Chainsaw. Mm -hmm. He said he saw, I didn't know his history with Chainsaw. Like he saw, everybody was telling him, you got to see this movie. And he finally did. Mm-hmm. And he says who he went to see it with, which was interesting, but I forget who it was. And um, he walked out and he called Hooper immediately and tried to, and got him over to Hollywood. He tried to get him to break through in Hollywood. Mm. Um, so they've been friends for decades and decades. All right, yeah. And I remember mm. somebody said, there's another interesting thing. There's another actor or director or someone who said they went to see Chainsaw for the first time with Paul Schrader. Oh geez! And Paul Schrader walked out and said, um, "Yeah, that's almost that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's too that's effective." Something. That's something when he says it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Well, we have a uh, Training Day getting a 4K release from Warner Brothers proper. That's a 2001 Oscar winner, of course, and it, uh, the previous extras have been retained, commentary by I was, director. I, I want to say one more thing about that. Oh, no, no, no. There's sure. this documentary on Chainsaw on the uh, – what was this? Was this Is this the Dark Sky, the 4K yeah, that yeah, just yeah, came yeah, out? Yeah, that's the one. Because yep. the second sight is next month. So it's an original hour-and-a-half documentary on Chainsaw. I, I, I'm sick and tired of these kinds of documentaries. They They have a bunch of bloggers or whoever the hell they are. And uh, all but one uh, really ha- has no insight on the movie. I mean, it's mm. all just general platitudes that the person on the street would share. Uh, uh, you know, very general about the effectiveness of the horror movie. And you get that when you see it. It's not a great documentary. It's just a talking heads thing. It's like that psycho um, 
77 or whatever that was when it 4977 or whatever when it examined the shower sequence in Psycho, oh, the right, documentary right, that right. was made. And most of the people didn't didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And for some reason, they had like Elijah Wood and his bandmates on there talking about it. And I'm like, why why, why are they there? They have nothing to contribute. The, and, mm-hmm. and yet, within that documentary, there was Walter Mersch, Merch, I think it was, who was going frame by frame. And he had insights. That's what he does. That's what he does. He's yeah. an expert at it. That's the valuable stuff. Not some guy that writes a blog that has nothing to share beyond what he's read. You know, that is coming like secondhand, a copy of a copy of a copy of an insight. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'll, I'll, yeah. That's my ramble. Well, I, I mean, it's all valid. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot of that going on, unfortunately. It's it's kind of like you know when you when you have this opportunity to to uh, to do something like that, you need to stand out of the way, and just kind of back off and get out of the way and let them, you know, the people who know or who were there, you know, let them let them handle the heavy lifting. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Yeah. So, but I don't know. All right, training day. You're on training day. Okay, training day. Yes. So, Training Day retains the extras that were on the previous Blu-ray, yes, with uh, commentary with director Antoine Fuqua, and additional scenes, alternate ending, theatrical trailer, uh, Training Day crossing the line, two music videos. So, uh, yeah, this, this was an Oscar winner, and deservedly so. I'm, I'm a fan of it. So, Training Day getting a 4K release. And then we have uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody, the recent Whitney Houston biopic, which is uh, directed by Casey Lemons. I still haven't gotten around to seeing this, although I hear it's not as whitewashed as you might expect, uh, being a PG-13 film. Uh, I oh, she's that... also very heralded filmmaker. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was just afraid with it being <coughs> written by the people who right. wrote that atrocious, you know. Right, uh, to, to give to, to give to get mu- music rights for it, you know, and the family and all that kind of stuff. You'd right. You'd think it would be severely compromised. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, uh, it is out. Uh, I want to dance with somebody. And um, it uh, has a few featurettes here. Moments of an Icon, Becoming Whitney, and The Personal Touch. No 4K release, but just Blu-ray only. Or I want to dance with somebody. A couple of animated films being issued by Shout Factory in 4K. Kubo and the Two Strings, and the Box Trolls getting 4K issues. Uh, Paramount issuing the recent uh, film Devotion in 4K and Blu-ray. Physical disc release of both of those. And, of course, uh, we'll talk about the uh, one of the big releases of the month, the Rocky Knockout Collection, which includes the first four films in the Rocky series and in also includes the disc debut of the director's cut of the fourth film and you get a few you know most most of the carryover stuff has been retained i will tell people who are interested about this sort of thing that uh, if you do have the undisputed collection uh that was put out i guess in 2008 or something like that uh there are a few there are a few extras that were on there there's a documentary on james crabbe who's the cinematographer on the original Rocky. It's missing here. 
So there are a few things like that that you have to be careful about. Uh, there were some uh, negative words about the transfer on this at first uh, that I was hearing online, but uh, I don't know. It uh, I just took a quick glance at it, and from what I'm seeing, I don't see what the complaints are about. Uh, they're saying that the audio is pitched too low on, I think, Rocky 2. Maybe that's the one, or maybe it's the first Rocky. But, you know, nobody seems to know exactly what the audio was supposed to be pitched at. So maybe the Blu-rays were pitched too high. We don't know. Uh, but anyway, the picture quality is definitely an upgrade. I mean, it's, you know, the stock was uh, not the most expensive stock that it was shot on because it was a low-budget film, the first Rocky. And, of course, the budgets progressively got better. Uh, Rocky Three isn't a tremendous upgrade in terms of picture, which was kind of a surprise. Uh, but Rocky Four, especially the director's cut, really looks good, uh, and they've expanded that to. Uh, it, it's interesting. The aspect ratio has changed. Uh, the original Rocky is 1.85 to one, and Rocky, this Rocky Four director's cut, uh, Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut, is now 2.35 to one, which is quite interesting. Mm. So it's uh, now an anamorphic, the only anamorphic film in the Rocky franchise, which makes it even more of a curio. So <laughs> uh, so there you go. Did you uh, think the director's cut was an improvement? I haven't watched the whole thing. I just kind of you know, uh, looked at it right quick to uh, check the picture quality on it since I was getting word that it uh, was was not as it. But I, picture-wise, I think it's it's definitely worth, uh, worth the upgrade. Um, I'm hearing that it's not, that it's actually, you know, a little more, there's a little more depth. Things aren't quite so cartoonish. Uh, you know, it's some of the no, I was talking, I was talking about the actual movie. Do you, if you thought yeah, yeah, Rocky yeah, yeah, vs. Drago was better than Rocky four. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it all. Cause I don't think it's that measurably better. Okay. Okay. But I could have been wrong. That's why I was asking your take on it. But... Yeah, I, I plan to uh, get to that, but I right. have. Instead of the Oscars, you're watching Rocky Four Director's Cut tonight. <laughs> There'll be just as much slapping on both broadcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, the Rocky uh, Knockout Collection has been issued by Warner Brothers. Uh, and I think I said Warner Brothers issued the 4K of Training Day, but just wanted to make sure I did in case I didn't. Uh, there's a 4K release uh from Scream, a uh, Shout Factory, sorry, uh, Dragonheart, been being issued in 4K, the 1996 film starring Dennis Quaid, and you've got uh, Sean, Sean Connery, Connery there as the voice of the I dragon. am the last one. <laughs> so, yes. I reckon anyway, I had some stupid joke when Dragon Dragonheart, that's the name of it? Yeah, Dragonheart. Because Dragonheart came out the same season or something as Baby's Day Out or something. That's so we, right. we had a joke where we were like, <laughs> we're like, baby's day out. That baby's going to be CGI, 100% through. Dragonheart, a totally real dragon. <laughs> we're really breaking, <laughs> breaking down barriers. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the latest Puss in Boots has been, I think that's an Oscar nominee for animated film, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Last Wish, Puss in Boots, 4K. Uh, Universal giving it a 4K and a Blu-ray issue with a few new featurettes there. And um, I think Scream had gone out of print. It was originally the original 1996 Scream had been in 4K in a steelbook, and it went out of print, and it's back in print now from Paramount. 
wanted to mention that in case anybody <laughs> didn't get it first time around. And we have uh, Robert Townsend's The Hollywood Shuffle is a sketch comedy film from 1987. Quite funny, I think. And this is the one that has the uh, the Siskel and Ebert parody uh, breaking in at the movies. <laughs> there's some good stuff there. It's a little uneven. I mean, you know, it's not, it doesn't all completely work, but it's, there's there's definitely worth uh, seeing. And there's some genuine laughs for sure. Uh, made on a very minuscule budget, but it kind of uh, Townsend was a, a pretty well known. Uh, stand-up comic at that point, and he decided to direct a film not knowing how to do it, and then, he, of course, he went on to direct uh, the uh, concert film for Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy Raw. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, but there are some new extras here, some uh, commentary, I think, and some new featurettes. So, uh, Also by Criterion is two films by Margaret Duras, and this, uh, yeah, this includes India Song and uh, Baxter, or or Ver- Baxter Vera Baxter, yes. Um, didn't get a review copy of these, but um, anyway, there are a few new extras on these, as you would expect from Criterion. Who's the oldest Oscar nominee in history? Gosh, hmm, good question. I wanted to say Gloria Stewart, but I don't know that she Could was be. nominated. I can't remember. Could be. I don't know. Maybe it's Judd Hirsch. He's 87. I don't know. Is he that old? I didn't yeah. quite. He does have the record for the longest gap between Oscar nominations. Judd Hirsch wow. does. Now, the youngest Oscar nominee. Uh, did that kid from Kramer versus Kramer get nominated? Might he be the youngest? Mm-hmm. Justin Henry? Yeah, I don't remember if he was nominated or not. Those are interesting questions. As of 2002, Justin Henry remains the youngest Oscar nominee in any category. He was eight years old. Okay. All right. There's your... Okay. Uh, John Williams gets your... Is the answer to your question? Is the oldest? Yeah, he's 90. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that's... He's... He just took it. <laughs> Yeah, well, Millionaires Express from 1986 is an Arrow release. It uh, follows the passengers of the Shanghai Express, a train running to the small village of Hanshui. Plenty of action taking place as the gallery of wealthy socialites, con men, cops, and train robbers speed toward its destination. And uh, this is a oh, a Hong Kong entry starring Samo Cam. Bo Hung, who also directed the film. And there's some new extras here, new interviews with the director, an actor, new commentary. Millionaires Express is an Arrow video release. Um, let's see. The Dogs from 1979 is a Severin Films release starring Gerard DePardieu. And we have John Wick, numbers one through three in 4K. It's a box set from Lionsgate, I guess in anticipation of the latest two hour and 50 minute. Jesus, really? Yeah. Good Lord. (laughs) That was my reaction. Exactly. (laughs) Not everything has to be a damn epic. (laughs) Sound like John Wick. Don't you want like a tight 90 minute, 100 minute movie? 
You would think so. You would think so. Yeah, I uh, I got a, uh, invited to the press screening for it. But when I saw that runtime, I thought, nope, not doing it. Like you're Sorry. Not, like you're not telling a story about Jesus of Nazareth or something. It's, <laughs> it's John Wick, for God's sakes. Yep. Two, Jeez. 50, two hours, 50 minutes. You know, how that used to be such a worry. It's too long. You can't play it as many times in the theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's back before, you know. Yeah. Uh, seven screens of a 14plex was occupied by the same exact movie. That's a, yeah, that's that... a non-starter anymore. You know? Yeah, and the problem with that now is that um, those, you know, because you have these lengthy films like that, then other films get shut out. Smaller films, they don't have the opportunity to play, and uh, so that's, you know, that's that's the downside of it. So, yeah. Jeez, that's just incredible. I thought so too. I did. So, Especially anyway. since you've already made three of them. Like how? <laughs> do you really think this story is that ambitious? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I just uh, the mind reels. Almost, mind almost reels. pisses me off for some reason. I'm surprised by my <laughs> well, reaction I, to that. I had the same reaction, and when they sent the press invite, I was so incensed about it. I opted not to go. I, so I'm right there with you. I, I, one of my coworkers, he, he. He's our IT guy on my day job, and he likes to go with me to these screenings. And he was so excited about it, and I had to tell him. I said, I'm not going. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Yeah, I mean, if it's a sprawling thing, I'm not against long-running times or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I was never one of those that made fun of Kevin Costner because he liked really long movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, But something like that, that's just pure ego. Yeah, I think so. I, I, that's that's the way I felt about it. But what do I know? <laughs> so two of Roger Corman's films. More like from, John Dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, two of Roger Corman's films. Yeah, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase and Eat My Dust from 76 uh, Ron and 77. Howard. Ron Howard's directorial debut in Great Texas Dynamite Chase, man. Uh, I want to say that has uh, that actress that died really young. I'm trying to think of her name. Claudia Jennings. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. There's this really great meme going around now of David Lynch consoling Robert Altman when they lost Best Director to Ron Howard. <laughs> yeah. That's just that's kind of amazing. And I like Ron Howard, but it it does go go to show you that the Oscars aren't aren't a, aren't anything really. <laughs> Yes. Yep, you know, yep, yep. they're not a harbinger or, or a barometer of anything. <laughs> because actually, the most acclaimed movie of that bunch is the one that Lynch was nominated for. I, I mean, should. it's number eight or whatever on the hundred greatest of all time. Or yeah, I would imagine that's two thousand one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah, because yeah. it was Gosford Park and yeah, Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Mm. Well. Mind-boggling for sure. The Wheels of Fire and Raiders of the Sun are, is another two uh, double feature from Shout Factory. I think this might be Corman-related as well. But anyway, it's uh, two two films on one Blu-ray set. Uh, that's like I said, Shout Shout Factory releasing that and the uh, the previous Great Texas Dynamite Chase and the My Dust. Those are limited editions, so if you want to grab those, you better grab them quick while you can. And uh, I see 
was trying to find what the price is on the Great Texas Dynamite Chase. I was actually thinking about maybe picking that up if it wasn't too expensive. But Anyway, uh, The Quiet Man has been out of print for a while. Uh, this is uh, John Wayne, of course, Maureen O'Hara. And uh, previously issued on Blu-ray, I think, by Olive Films, but now Paramount has has reissued it, 1952 film. And uh, I was reading an article recently about George Romero. They said when he passed away on his deathbed, he had them play the score for The Quiet Man as he as he made the transition. I've actually got that soundtrack on vinyl. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff, indeed. So, And there's an A24 horror film, five film collection with Hereditary, The Witch, uh, Green Room, and... Um, it comes at night, so uh-huh. yeah. So if you are an A24 in an A24 mood and you want them all in one place, well, there you go. So I think that pretty much sums up uh, the releases for the month of March, other than a few Disney reissues of Lady in the Tramp, Jungle Book, Robin Hood, Sleeping Beauty, Jungle Book, as I just said. Uh, Lady in the Tramp, yep, mentioned those already. Zootopia. 101 Dalmatians, those are the ones. Tangled. So, yep, getting reissued new packaging, nothing else new. But uh, that is it.